Welcome to Lemp Report Live. On today's broadcast, Dollar Tree Dinners is a hit and Dollar General wants to grow. The cost of food declines, but prices are still rising and what two retailers are doing about it. Oh no, the Girl Scout cookie shortage is here and why that's important. Women take a lead in food, how your local fast foodery is about to change, and on the bullseye, finally a recalibration for brands. Today at Denny's and Dunkin', it's free coffee to celebrate daylight savings time. Not exactly sure why. And if you happen to be at South by Southwest and at the Variety Power of Comedy Awards, I'd like to hear about it. Inspire offered attendees crispy tater tots from Sonic Drive-In topped with gyro meat from Arby's, cheese and tataki sauce, the chicken and waffle ice cream from Baskin Robbins that comes with an actual chicken honey garlic sauced boneless chicken wing from Buffalo Wild Wings, a soft pretzel twist bite from Sonic with a Dunkin' glaze, a cocktail made with Jimmy John's pickle juice infused Arby's curly fry vodka and simple syrup, cucumbers, mint, and lemonade with a Jimmy's pickle garnish to name just a few of those tantalizing treats. Uh, I don't think so. Tell us what you think of these concoctions in the chat and we'll share your thoughts after the bullseye. Let's get started. So, Sally, I I am fascinated uh, by a girl by the thirty year old by the name of Rebecca Chobat. Um, she comes from North Carolina. Um, she has this TikTok channel uh, that teaches people how to live off Dollar Tree groceries. Um, she has a bunch of videos. They range from you know, some that are close to 750,000 views. She has 10.2 million likes, 750,000 followers. And what I find fascinating, she started her YouTube channel about seven or eight years ago. Originally, it was about budgeting. Um, then what she did is she actually had gastric uh, sleeve surgery. She lost 120 pounds and actually chronicled that on her YouTube channel, which led to her now doing these recipes, um, not just about healthy food by any means, but foods that you can buy from Dollar, um, Dollar Tree to save money and have tasty dishes. And I just think that what she's doing is really cool. I agree, Phil. This is a, you know, as we know, our younger generations are really great at um, creating content for social media, particularly TikTok. And a lot of them are really supporting retailers and brands um, by teaching people, like in this case, how to shop at a Dollar Tree um, for $35 a week. You can feed yourself three meals a day. It's, it's incredible that she's found a way to do this. Um, and what's even more interesting to me is that you know, not only is this um, such a great service to people who are struggling with um, with buying food right now with the prices uh, as well, but these dollar stores are um, getting a lot more customers these days. And as they continue to expand their stores and to expand their offerings into fresh foods, um, more frozen foods and canned vegetables and things, then there's going to be a lot more opportunity for Rachel to show us what we can do with all of these different items at a very low cost. 
Absolutely. And, and I, you know, what I love about her TikTok videos is they're not fancy. Um, but what she does is really focus on content versus the glitz. Um, so it, it's great. And as you point out, uh, both dollar stores, uh, Dollar Tree and Dollar General are expanding. Um, Dollar General just last week said they're going to open up more than a thousand new stores. Um, they're penetration of refrigerated and frozen continues to increase, um, which which I think is fabulous. Great news for all of us. And, you know, good good for them to seeing the trend and then reacting to it. Uh, talking about trends, uh, the cost of food has declined, but grocery bills are still up. Uh, to me, this is a food crime. Um, what they're basically saying is that the cost increases give food makers um, an ability to hike prices above what those increases called for. It's boosting profits and correcting what they saw as too low cost prices in previous years. Um, it's it's amazing some of these quotes. Um, a friend of ours, Mark Lang, who's an associate professor of marketing at the University of Tampa. Uh, Mark has also done a lot of work for the Mushroom Council, um, was was quoted in this. Uh, they are, to me, absolutely profit-taking. Uh, ConAgra and Hershey reports higher profits in their most recent quarters. And, you know, actually, what happened is Sean um, Connolly, who's the CEO of ConAgra said at a conference how ConAgra was able to raise prices without losing sales by volume. He said the prices were just too low in frozen pre-pandemic. What we've been able to illustrate for the retailer is that consumers welcome a $4 and $50 unit or package because at that price, a frozen meal is still a good value. Uh, they have Marie calendars. They have bird's eye, they've got healthy choice. And, you know, at 450, it's probably about double what it was prior to that. And as we've talked about here before, you know, Coca-Cola's CEO quoted again, uh, saying we've earned the right to price with the consumers. So what, what can we do here? These food companies are just making tons of profits. They're not reducing prices. Um, what's, what's the next step for a consumer? Yes, it is. It is frustrating to see that the cost of ingredients are down. Agricultural commodities are down and still yet um, consumers are not getting any relief. Um, we have heard the transportation and uh, labor costs um, are up, but still the message is very unclear. And what is coming to consumers is, well, you'll pay it. So we'll charge it. And I think that that is um, very um, scary territory for brands and retailers to get into if they to retain the loyalty of these um, customers they've had for so long. Absolutely. And there's a couple of retailers who are fighting it. I mean, most retailers right now are not just taking the price increases. They're saying that, hey, you've got to prove that you really need it. Uh, but when Dixie just announced, um, and they've had this program since 2016 called Down Down, uh, but they've just released the latest um, offerings of 15% savings on more than 150 food and packaged goods products um, in the store for the spring. They do this every 
um, every quarter. Uh, Down Down is designed to help customers get more for their money on frequently purchased items. Also across the pond in France, uh, the French government said last week that it has made a deal with major supermarkets to cap many food prices. What they're trying to do is cut prices for a wide range of foods. Um, The choice of which foods are up to the retailer. Basically, April to June, they want to turn into what they're calling an anti-inflation quarter. So do we think that more retailers are really going to put pressure on these brands and just not take this? Um, I know that Hy-Vee and their new stores, they now have little stickers um, with with arrows that point down to show a price reduction. Uh, Price is becoming, you know, the number one issue for consumers when they go into the supermarket. Yes, and and you know it it does sound like a, a really beneficial program um, that the French Prime Minister is putting in place, the anti-inflation initiative. Um, he telling us that that selected products will also come with a logo um, called the anti-inflation quarter that features the colors of the French flag. Um, I think that that you know sort of signaling to people is great that these retailers or products have gotten on board to help su- support. Um, their country and the and the price of food. Um, so I think that that's something people will really embrace, at least the consumers. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and talking about, you know, prices and, and problems in our supply chain, um, there's a shortage of Girl Scout cookies. Um, just to give you some idea of what we're talking about here, um, you know, Girl Scout cookies are sold in a short season. In that season, it amounts to $800 million, um, the equivalent of about 200 million packages. And Little Brownie Bakers, um, which is owned by Ferrero in Italy, has had a problem um, because of weather conditions. They've had power outages. They've had um, probably disruptions for the past three years um, in their production. They supply 75% of all the Girl Scout cookies. Uh, The other 25% are supplied by ABC Bakers. Um, and the the bottom line is for certain products like the new Raspberry Rally, um, that's a new flavor this year. Uh, people have bought them and they're being sold on eBay for 35 bucks. And what's important to note is that any money that, you know, the Girl Scouts make stays in their local chapter. It doesn't go to a big organization somewhere um, where they can rent office space and pay high CEO salaries. This is money that is actually stays in that local community. And when people do stuff like this, the Girl Scouts, you know, they made a couple bucks on the on the cookies to begin with. But the person who's making the big bucks on eBay None of that money goes to Girl Scouts. And I know that, you know, your sister's involved in in Girl Scouts. What does she have to say about this? Yeah, so my sister has been involved as a troop leader with her daughters for many years now. And, you know, they sell a lot of cookies. They have a really big program where they do that. And, you know, what she has told me is exactly what you're talking about here, Phil, is that, you know, this this is a great organization um, that for so many decades has been supporting um, programs and, you know, healthy, uh, strong, um, inspirational growth for young girls. And we want that money from those cookies that those 
those girls are out there selling. We want that money to go to them and support these programs for them. So um, it is something for people to keep in mind that, you know, I mean, do you really want to pay $35 for a box of raspberry rallies? It's not so much about the cookie, although I know some people love them and love the taste of them. It's really about supporting this program. And and also this points out, you know, a problem for the Girl Scouts having uh, Ferrero occupy 75 percent of their capacity um, for for this program, you know, is dangerous. The past three years, they've not been able to keep up with it. They're putting up a new plant in Illinois that supposedly, once it's built, solves these problems. And also, because there's just two suppliers, the Girl Scout cookies that you get in Nashville may be a different recipe than the ones that I get here in Santa Monica. Um, so I think that the Girl Scouts um, need to bring in, you know, somebody who knows distribution and food to really even this out. So everybody uses the same recipe, same formula, has the same variety of products, and they they don't get into the situation again. You know, if if you look at what Ferrero has been able to supply, 84 million packages. Uh, but again, you know, 75%, the last time I looked of 200 million um, is 150 million. So they're just about half of what they need to. And this is Girl Scout cookie season. If they don't get them now, they're not going to get them. Um, so let's support the Girl Scouts. Let's keep it local. And uh, hey, Girl Scouts, you know, it's time to really look at your supply chain and, and see how you can fix this so it doesn't happen again. Um, this month is Women's History Month, and um, there's been a lot of articles written about these women who are running food companies um, and food influencers. And for me, um, I can think of two, and, and Sally, you might have a lot more. But Rachel Berliner um, from Amy's Frozen Food, she started it um, in her kitchen. Um, it's a huge brand, well-loved well brand. Um, and also our friend Marion Nessel uh, from NYU. To me, these are two powerhouse women in food. Um, what are some others we should know about? Yes, agreed on both of those. And we are seeing more women-owned businesses. In fact, um, there are 114% more female entrepreneurs now than there were 20 years ago. And what's wonderful about having them in food um, is, you know, a lot of these women um, are moms or have been moms, and they really seem to care about the planet and nutrition and food waste and making sure that there is accessibility to food. Um, so, you know, I've, I've picked a couple here to talk, talk about that I think really support these major issues that we face as a world right now. Um, starting with Julia Collins, who um, founded Moonshot Snacks in 2019. Now, this is a Black and women-owned product. It's plant-based. It's a climate-friendly cracker, and it is um, sourced from regeneratively grown ingredients. Very, very important. We are, we are hearing a lot about regenerative agriculture culture and how good that is um, for our planet. Um, also, I wanted to point out uh, Hema Reddy, who is a former director of marketing for IBM, and um, she uh, is the founder of the first 
plant-based hard-boiled egg, wonder eggs. Now this comes at a great time, you know, just because it's it, also because it's great for the planet. Um, but also a lot of people are, are choosing uh, more plant-based diets, even going vegan. And also the price of eggs has been pretty high yeah. lately. Yeah. So, so this may grab some attention. I don't know how much they cost, but, um, and then I also wanted to point out um, founder and CEO of Hungry House, Kristen Barnett. Um, this is in New York. This is um, a place for food brands and concepts to focus on, to come and focus on sustainability, diversity, quality, and transparency. Um, all of these values that we are talking about that we need more in the food industry. And I love these companies that provide a space for new entrepreneurs and um, food makers to come in and learn how to get their products out there and learn how to do it the right way. Absolutely. And um, it's it's a great time, a great month to celebrate women in food, as well as all women, uh, no matter what it is, but we just care about women in food. It's that simple. And, and if I look at, uh, for example, Colleen Wegman, uh, from Wegmans, um, as Danny has passed the baton on to her, she's doing a fabulous job at one of the best retailers in the nation, probably in the world. Um, so, you know, we celebrate women in food, no question about it. Um, there's something not to celebrate, that basically what we've seen during the pandemic is a lot of fast food restaurants. Um, obviously, their sales from drive-through have increased dramatically. Uh, sales of the restaurant people dining in is down about 16%. And 39% uh, of all sales um, at a fast food restaurant goes through the drive-through. So guess what they've decided to do? Let's get rid of in-store dining. And, you know, why why have to deal with the space? Because they can take that space, put in more drive through lanes rather than just having one drive through lane so people can pick up things faster. They don't have to clean it. They don't have the labor factor involved. Um, it's a way to get, you know, uh, bottom line is is more money per burger that you that you sell. Uh, but I think it's going to backfire on them. I think that there's still a lot of people who, you know, if 39% of your sales goes to their drive-through, well, guess what that means? 51%, uh, no, 61% um, go through people who are coming into the restaurant and sitting there. Um, so, you know, we've got we've to weigh that out. And I think that it's a knee-jerk reaction, the same way we saw with 15-minute delivery and so on, that probably in two or three years, all these fast food restaurants are going to have to go back uh, to build in, you know, seating. Yes. And, you know, for me, um, I, I think about small towns and I think about when uh, I was a kid and we didn't have any fast food restaurants until I was in high school. We got a McDonald's and it became not only was it um, a place where, you know, an inexpensive place where people wanted to go and have sit down and have some food, but it also became a place, a safe place for young people to go and hang out and have food together. Um, it was it was a hangout and it um, it really meant a lot to our town when it came when, when we got it. So I wonder if um, there are still some people out there that you know the food isn't isn't that great enough for them to just um, want to drive through and get it. You know, there's another element missing that if we take out the dining rooms. 
Absolutely. And and you're bringing up a great point. I remember my second job in life when I was 16, I guess, is working at a McDonald's um, in Belleville, New Jersey. And that's what it was. It was a hangout. Probably it was a hangout because all of our friends used to come and we used to give them free cheeseburgers. But I guess I should, <laughs> should not admit to that. <laughs> Thanks, Sally. Um, the past week, I had a great opportunity to talk to someone who's a labor organizer, someone who works for Starbucks. And Tyler told me what's really going on behind the scenes at this labor movement at Starbucks. For the full episode, just go to supermarketguru.com, click on the Lost in the Supermarket link, and you can hear the entire interview. But in the meantime, take a look at what he has to say. So let's talk about, you know, where we are today. And Tyler, um, I know that there was um, an individual um, who who was fired from Starbucks. He was a union organizer like you. Um, he has a video up that on TikTok is over 17 million views. Um, are, are people just, you know, getting involved in the union to get famous? <laughs> yeah, um, I think that... First of all, no, absolutely not, um, because, you know, over 200 workers have gotten fired, and I imagine over 200 workers have not become TikTok famous, um, as much as I'm sure they would love that. Um, I think, however, that we've utilized uh, these social media platforms like TikTok, like Twitter, like Instagram, uh, to convey our message and our experiences to a broader audience. We understand that Starbucks um, really puts a lot of investment and faith into its PR and, and how the public perceives them. And so we understand that, you know, the average customer may not be coming into our store knowing all about the union or what Starbucks has been doing. But if we can raise awareness to that, then we can add more supporters to our cause, as it were. Um, so I think that, you know, getting that information out um, via social media platforms like TikTok is incredibly important. And in many ways, it does go viral, because I think that our struggle as, you know, millennials or Gen Zers um, is relatable to a lot of people. And when they when the veil is lifted off of, uh, you know, the, the good PR image that Starbucks has, uh, a lot of people want to, you know, broadcast that and support it. So, no, I don't think we're trying to become TikTok famous because um, my viral video hasn't happened yet, but maybe this will do it. <laughs> OK. On today's bullseye, all that I can say is it's about time. As food brands are being squeezed with higher labor, raw ingredients, and transportation costs, they're finally shedding the shelves with slow-moving products. This will finally change the narrative in the supermarket and, frankly, send a lot of brand managers who have relied on lame brand extensions packing. Yes, it started with the pandemic as the CEO of Progresso Soup announced that he was cutting their SKUs in roughly half to ensure that their production capacity could meet the needs of the majority of shoppers. He also found that there were over 25 varieties of chicken and noodles in some combination in their portfolio. Progresso was not alone, as many food companies had to focus on their best sellers and leave the laggards behind. You might think that meant more efficiencies and that would prevent what we're now experiencing at the checkout with higher prices. But there's a lot more to it than just efficiency. Less employees and higher wages coupled with higher transportation costs and higher raw material costs. And then came the floods and the droughts and the hurricanes and all the other effects of climate change. For a food company, 
It's a perfect storm, if you will. Executive at Nestle and Unilever have been quoted as saying that they've seen billions in savings after ditching the laggards in their product portfolios. Nestle said cutting products saved just over $1 billion, while Unilever said that their practice saved $2 billion. Unilever is reducing the varieties of ice cream that it sells. The company is using artificial intelligence in its Polaris program to help manage its assortment and cut its ice cream products by about 20%. Unilever trimmed about 5,000 types of products in the personal care category. At Kraft Heinz, they've initiated a decomplexity program. Who comes up with these phrases anyway? They announced at the Consumer Analyst Group conference. One of the brands that bit the dust was the Heinz Real Mayonnaise, which is, in my opinion, a shame, as it has no artificial flavors, colors, or preservatives, and for me, had a more delicate flavor, and it tasted good. It just didn't have the marketing push to make it a viable alternative to Hellman's and Best Foods, as they focused on selling it in food service as pillow packs, and the consumer thought that they were getting a second-rate product. Not true. For our UK viewers, you're lucky. You can still get it across the pond. It was best said by Martin Renault, a top marketing executive at Mondelez, who told Reuters the chocolate manufacturer has too many flavors. We sometimes have the tendency to launch a lot of things because they're exciting, but we need to be very rigorous. Finally, someone who understands that we don't need 20-plus varieties of Oreos. Kellogg's discontinued its line of Special K protein shakes and Nestle Axe Lean Cuisine Paninis, Frozen Sweet Earth Benevolent Bacon, and Sweet Earth Vegan Hot Dogs. Did anyone ever thought that those were good ideas? I'm glad to see that our CPG brands are finally cleaning up their offerings and focusing on those products that most shoppers want. It's the smaller brands, for example, that you're going to find at the Fancy Food Show or Expo West that can fill in the gaps for the varieties that are being discontinued. Our major brands simply cannot afford to sell small quantities of products. But these smaller companies are de designed to do just that. The outcome shouldn't be shrinkflation or increased prices to the consumer so that these monolithic brands can make huge profits for their executive suite or shareholders. It should be to pass on the reduced cost to the U.S. consumer who still has sticker shock at the checkout. The Lemper Report is all about inspiring ideas, making our industry think, and challenging each other. Let's think about being the shopper and how we can bring our supermarkets and restaurants closer to meet their needs. I hope you'll join us next week's on next week's installment of Lemper Report Live when we focus on the biggest and best insights and the things that really matter. Be sure to visit supermarketguru.com for the latest marketing analysis, issues, and trends. And we'll see you back here next Monday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern, for more.